Achilles Kapanidis, you're a fellow of St. Cross College, Oxford, and professor in biological physics at the University of Oxford. Welcome to St. Cross College Shorts. Can you describe your way of doing biological physics? Sure. Uh, let's consider what biological physics is in the first place. Uh, biological physics is the application of experimental, computational, and theoretical uh, uh, methods to study various uh, biological systems. It can be entire organisms or it can be biomolecules. So the approaches um, that we have in my lab involve uh, high-end uh, optical microscopy that uh, is combined with modeling and imaging, uh, image analysis, as well as conventional biochemistry that supports the biophysics work. And the organisms that uh, we, we study are bacteria and, uh, and viruses. We're very interested in the influenza virus and uh, more recently coronavirus. And the, specifically, the systems that we are studying are protein machines that uh, are involved in uh, gene expression and, uh, and DNA repair. That's why we actually call uh, affectionately our lab the uh, gene machines group because we like to work on machines that like to, to work on, on, uh, on DNA and, and RNA. And um, the main uh, microscopy method that we employ is a single molecule fluorescence uh, imaging. So we have ways of uh, tagging our molecules of interest with fluorescent probes and then we look at their their motions in a way that uh, they can inform us about uh, their mechanisms um, both in in cells and also in purified systems so just to run quickly through the main approaches that we use in the group uh, we perform a lot of experiments with purified systems where we take a protein machine of our choice for example the machine that copies dna into rna that's a protein called rna polymers and we can put fluorescent probes on the machinery or on the dna and then what's how it's being copied into RNA. And then uh, by looking at the motions of the protein machine and uh, how the, the DNA is, um, is reconfigured during the process, we understand about the mechanism. And of course, when we do this, we also illuminate ways to stop the machinery of uh, pathogenic versions of, of this protein machine. And the past few years, we have been uh, moving this single uh, molecule methods inside uh, living cells. So we have ways again of of uh, labeling those uh, protein machines of, uh, of interest uh, and then visualize how they function inside single bacterial cells. And because we have also very powerful ways of, of localizing these uh, protein machines, uh, we can use uh, this, uh, this power in order to break the diffraction-limited microscopy and get very detailed uh, images of high resolution for this machinery and uh, also other interesting structures in, inside cells. In order to be able to achieve uh, this, uh, clearly we have an interdisciplinary group that provides um, expertise both from the physical and biological side of the questions that we'd like to address. Uh, we also build our own uh, microscopes and, uh, uh, and also the software that's needed to operate them and analyze the images. And also we use the understanding of this uh, machinery and the powerful microscopes in order to be able to um, uh, come up with uh, ultra-sensitive uh, assays that can detect um, pathogens, um, bacteria or viruses uh, very sensitively. It's now mid-January 2021 and the UK is in its third COVID-19 lockdown. Now, COVID-19 has changed things for everybody to the four corners of the globe. 
How has it done so for you and your work? Well, obviously, there's been a massive change as uh, for uh, everyone among us, uh, the entire society has uh, felt the brunt of the of the pandemic. Well, during the first lockdown, if we go back uh, to March, part of my team was the only group that was still uh, performing experimental work in the physics department uh, to work on a rapid uh, test for uh, SARS-CoV-2, while the rest of my group was uh, performing mainly computational work and developing software, pursuing writing projects from home. Clearly, that was a very challenging time because I had to balance many responsibilities, directing the COVID-related research, to keep everybody engaged uh, and upbeat, uh, especially people who are not working on the COVID research and they were stuck at home, uh, while uh, also completing my role as an examiner and also um, dealing with uh, childcare since uh, I have toddler twins and uh, uh, having them at home during the first lockdown was, uh, was clearly a, a challenge. So I've been working from home for the past uh, nine months and uh, I've given up my, my office in order to lower the density in my group and allow um, more people to, to, to work and have um, some, uh, some, some office uh, space, additional office space. And of course, if we um, go back to July, when we we're allowed to do experimental work, again, we had to work hard to establish COVID-safe uh, protocols, both as a lab and as a department. And uh, the way we managed to operate quite effectively was by dividing the team into a green team and a red team, and therefore we're operating with 50% capacity. That um, still allowed us to have a good pace of, of research. But there's still many, many challenges um, are present. Uh, for example, it's, um, it's quite challenging to train new students that are coming into the group because um, clearly we need to, to ensure that we, we keep um, our social distancing protocols while training students to, to do experimental work. And it's hard to also assimilate them in the lab culture since the, the lab is operating in this um, kind of strange way. <laughs> and uh, also teaching is done on, online. And we had to adjust our um, procedures for, uh, for the examination period during uh, the, the Trinity term uh, as well because of COVID. And uh, other, other types of impact, uh, clearly there are no physical meetings anymore with uh, colleagues uh, within my, my lab, so within physics and uh, more broadly within the biophysics uh, scientific uh, community. So we actually had to cancel one of the conferences that uh, I was uh, co-organizing. On the upside, we started uh, attending more online conferences and uh, given uh, a lot of talks uh, remotely to places um, in the US uh, or in elsewhere in, uh, in Europe um, without having to travel, which uh, clearly has um, positive uh, effects, in, including the fact that it has negligible carbon footprint. This is one of these positive things that um, is coming out of the pandemic and hopefully we will maintain the positive aspects and then uh, go back to n normal, having learned some lessons along the way. Another lesson that we, we have learned, and that's something that um, I think has changed uh, during the pandemic, is that we see more international uh, collaboration. People are just more willing to, to work, try to solve challenges that uh, the pandemic has uh, thrown in front of us. 
also we get uh, a lot more attention from the press and, and the public and we do the best uh, we can in order to describe our work and to keep the public informed to the best of our, our knowledge. Now you and your lab have developed a rapid coronavirus test. Can you describe it and can you explain how you came to develop it? Yes, uh, we have been working, as I mentioned uh, earlier, on uh, the replication mechanisms of uh, the influenza virus. So we started this work back in 2012. And uh, more recently, we have been exploring ways to detect the flu virus more rapidly. And in fact, in uh, uh, November uh, 2019, uh, just uh, a few months before we learned about the uh, emergence of um, the new coronavirus, we had published a a paper that was describing a, a method that was using uh, calcium ions to bind um, tiny fragments of fluorescent uh, DNA on uh, the particles of the flu virus and other envelope virus and to uh, label them uh, fluorescently very, very rapidly. So essentially you mix the um, fluorescent DNA and calcium with the viral particles and they become almost instantly fluorescent and you can detect them on a fluorescence microscope. And by looking at uh, the motion uh, in solution or uh, looking at um, the, their uh, structure while they mobilize on, on the surface, you get information that may allow you to identify the, the virus. So the timescales for labeling and imaging uh, are basically just uh, one to two minutes. So it is very rapid. So when the coronavirus emerged in China, we thought that our assay uh, will work quite well also with a new coronavirus. And uh, we had already some very exciting data on using uh, images of the, uh, the flu virus along with uh, the use of um, machine learning in order to identify different strains of flu virus. That was uh, work that was um, done by a brilliant graduate student uh, physics, uh, Nicolas Sanchez, in collaboration with uh, Royal Society fellow uh, Dr. Nicole Robb, who now is an assistant professor in work. And um, that gave us um, a lot of confidence that this, uh, this um, methodology will work also on the new coronavirus. So the important thing then was to be able to, to get the right samples in order to test the, the principle that was done uh, using a coronavirus from, uh, from chickens that showed that um, this principle is, uh, is valid for coronaviruses. And then in collaboration with an institute in uh, Montpellier who had access to a new coronavirus, and high containment facilities and microscopy, we showed that indeed our uh, idea was correct and the method was working quite well in terms of the detection, at least, um, on the new coronavirus. So what we did after that was to start working with colleagues in the hospital, the John Ratcliffe Hospital, which uh, expanded on a collaboration we, we started on uh, bacterial targets, and I'll say a few things a bit later about that. That allows us to basically access locally to, to the virus and provided us with space where we could install the microscope that allowed us to look at the clinical uh, samples. Uh, when we uh, did this, we managed to show that, again, the principle works not only on lab-grown coronaviruses, but also on clinical uh, samples. So we have uh, excellent accuracy uh, when we look at individual particles of uh, coronaviruses 
in clinical samples. And now what we're doing is to be able to um, analyze many, many clinical samples in order to establish the formal specificity and sensitivity of the assay and find ways to make it uh, also more uh, adaptable and uh, more high throughput in order to be able uh, to be used for mass uh, testing. And the, the important feature of the methodology is its uh, its speed. Essentially, in one to two minutes, you can have uh, a result that uh, identifies uh, whether somebody uh, has uh, the novel coronavirus or not. And it's an assay that is also quite general and may be used for other viruses uh, as well. So we feel that this will have a substantial impact in terms of uh, detecting um, uh, dangerous uh, viruses. Uh, we'll see how much of an impact we'll have uh, during this pandemic, but uh, in any case, uh, viruses uh, will always pay us um, some uh, visits and we should be uh, prepared and our assay will help with that. Now, you've already said that this work has involved collaborations across the University of Oxford and way beyond the University of Oxford. Can you say some more about this? Sure. So the um, collaboration with uh, the John Ratcliffe um, Hospital and especially the lab of uh, Derek uh, Crook that involved uh, Nicole Stoiser, uh, Monique Anderson and uh, Leon Pito was uh, very, very important. Without them, would have been able to show the proof of concept with uh, clinical samples and uh, we are uh, extremely thankful for uh, their support and their enthusiasm. Also, I should um, point out um, the help from the Micron uh, Imaging uh, Unit that is based in biochemistry. So Elon Davis is a person who is heading this activity, who actually supports us by lending us uh, a microscope that we could use in the in the short term for uh, for about a month, and that uh, clearly accelerate our time scale. So that was an important contribution. Our colleagues at uh, Montpellier, who actually contacted us after they saw some of our uh, efforts um, discussed uh, on on Twitter, and then uh, offered uh, their help. That was actually very heartwarming to to see. And uh, also colleagues at the Perbright uh, Institute uh, that um, studies uh, animal viruses uh, helped us in, in this effort. And also to say that there was um, support at various levels through our colleagues who participate in a university-wide COVID update group. So these are the groups that uh, have been doing COVID-related research since uh, essentially mid-January. That um, set of colleagues involves um, people who are working on, on developing uh, the vaccine. So the head of the Oxford Vaccine Group and my colleague, Andy Pollard, uh, colleagues who work on structural biology, on immune responses, on track and trace. So the, we had the excellent discussions there that helped us uh, shape our project as well. So this is a list of, uh, of individuals and, and institutions that were very helpful in our, uh, our efforts. What other projects are you currently working on? Well, we are continuing our efforts on rapid coronavirus uh, testing, uh, but uh, we have started our non-coronavirus experimental work in, in late July. So on that front, we are uh, finishing some very exciting work on the recent discovery of the detailed mechanism by which the RNA polymerase, so the machine that copies DNA to, to RNA, so it sits at the heart of gene expression. And uh, we've done this for the machinery of the of bacteria. And then we understood the series of motion that, motions that uh, take place in order to open the, the DNA to start the, the copying of the genes. So that's very exciting. And we're wrapping it up for publication. We also continuing the work
work to study the function of this uh, machinery along with DNA re repair machinery by watching motions of single molecules inside living bacterial cells. So that's um, ongoing uh, work. That is, um, it's a very good stage. And uh, then another project that we're ramping up right now has to do with the rapid detection of uh, antibiotic resistance in pathogenic uh, bacteria that are found in, in clinical samples. And this is actually with the same team that uh, we uh, developed the rapid test for, uh, for coronavirus. This particular detection that has to do with bacteria relies on single cell imaging and uh, also involves advanced uh, image analysis that includes also the machine uh, learning aspect and the use of artificial intelligence. Uh, the idea here is to be able to take a clinical uh, specimen and to either analyze it directly or through some minimal purification and then using uh, imaging of individual cells as they are exposed to different antibiotics to be able to, to tell whether these cells are antibiotic resistant or not and also get some information about what uh, type of bacteria we have in the sample. So that's a collaboration again with the colleagues in the John Ratcliffe uh, Hospital and also a colleague, Chris Nellacker, at the Big Data uh, Institute. And uh, his, um, his work has uh, received a, um, generous support by the Oxford uh, Martin School. So the project uh, is, is starting basically in a few weeks, the, the funded project. But we, we have uh, exciting preliminary data already. And another front that is quite important is the establishment of a new interdisciplinary institute at Oxford that uh, will open in, um, in a matter of, of a few months. And this is an institute that has recently received support by the Kavli uh, Foundation. And this institute is focusing on using physical uh, approaches in order to study biological mechanisms in living cells. So we will actually be moving to a building has been uh, completed essentially as, as we speak and therefore will house many scientists that are, are working on, on the physical approaches to, to study biological mechanisms theme. Presumably the new interdisciplinary institute is going to be taking your research into the future. Could you say a little bit more about that? Yes, absolutely. As I mentioned, and as you uh, can see from uh, the work that we discuss, uh, the rapid detection of pathogenic bacteria, rapid detection of coronavirus and other viruses, we are doing more translational work than, than in the past because we feel that it's important to, to make, uh, put our methodologies and competences towards a more immediate impact for the society and public health. Uh, so we'll really like to make a contribution and to focus uh, our efforts um, either in the method development or putting our better mechanistic understanding towards helping rapid detection and therefore uh, helping um, the, the clinicians to, to ensure uh, better public health. Also, I see that we will be doing more computational and uh, image analysis work in the future because it's now in many uh, of our projects extremely easy to collect uh, a very large uh, number of, uh, of data and images. So it is to take. We have um, um, even commercialized microscopes that make this uh, the process of data acquisition quite, uh, quite easy. And there are more uh, uh, tools to do image analysis and, and data analysis and therefore uh, provide um, information that um, allow us to drive new experiments or new interpretations uh, of, uh, of existing data. And it's also something that can be done from, from home and uh, as uh, 
we don't know when exactly the end of the pandemic will uh, will be. Uh, nobody knows the ability to do uh, quite a bit uh, of work from from home without requiring extensive experiments is quite attractive. Also, I see ourselves doing more work in in living cells uh, versus uh, doing work in purified systems because they're more biologically relevant and involve all the components associated with the growth and the maintenance of of an organism. And yeah, the last thing I see that is emerging is that we will be involved in more collaborative efforts, uh, either internally within the the new institute, but also uh, internationally. And one of the reasons for this is that um, the problems that we're trying to face are quite difficult, require a multidisciplinary approach. And despite uh, our lab being uh, fairly multidisciplinary clearly will be more uh, more effective and efficient if we tackle it with uh, with colleagues and experts in in fields that uh, we perhaps uh, novices and the fact that we will have a new institute that um, will have this uh, wonderful environment of uh, groups working on different uh, approaches will make this more uh, more easy to to achieve and more enjoyable really Achilles Kapanidis thank you so much for taking the time to talk today and the very best with everything thank you Stanley.